maybe set the scene a little bit really about what what was what was the product landscape like when you thought about Cube at the time, um, and what problem did you initially try and solve within that within that market? Yeah, yeah, the good question. I, I think to be honest, the initial idea was, what if we build a headless LookML, but bring a different BI on top of it. Hello and welcome to Drill to Detail, and I'm your host, Mark Rittman. So I'm very pleased to be joined on the show today by Artem Kedinov, CEO of Cube. So Artem, great to have you on the show. Thank you for having me today, Mark. I'm really excited uh, about our conversation. Uh, my name is Artem, uh, co-founder and CEO at Cube, started Cube in 2019. So really looking forward to today's conversation. Fantastic. So we've been working together a little bit actually recently as well. Um, we're a cube partner, and um, and certainly myself and the team have been very, uh, very kind of excited to be working with with Cube the product and Cube the company. Um, so, uh, but it's great to talk to you. It's always great to talk to the kind of you know original brains behind the uh, the product, really. So, uh, it'd be quite good to go through in this episode um, some of your background, really. But then. Um, yeah, the, the the area of semantic models is really hot at the moment, and I'm particularly interested to understand what your thinking is around this area um, and how you how you what's the differentiator really for Cube products and where you see this thing where you see this all going. So, um, but let's start off really um, um, with your I suppose your kind of backstory. So, tell us about um, tell us about Statspot, which was a product that I actually used a little while ago, and um, I was pleased to see actually you know it was your company or you that actually was involved in that as well. So what was Statsbox and what was the story behind that? Uh, yeah, yeah. And, uh, good, good to hear that, you know, like you, you enjoy the product. Um, so I started Statsbot, I think, in 2016 or so. And I was running engineering at a company that was building software for schools back then. And we had a good engineering team that was starting to using Slack a lot. And I thought, what if we turn Slack into like some sort of a BI tool, right? Like bring charts or analytics data into, into Slack because we're already spending a lot of time in Slack, right? So I built that integration with Slack and a few other places, you know, like Google Analytics, databases, Salesforce. And so the stats bot was able to pull data from different places and just display that in uh, in Slack. It was either like a real time or it was, you know, like kind of on a schedule basis. So, and I started as, as a, a just kind of side hustle project, you know, like, but uh, it started to grow quickly. Slack came with this application directory and they reached out to me and saying like, hey, stats bot is, already kind of, you know, like getting some traction. We wanted to feature it on our upcoming application directory launch. So they did this. I got a lot of traffic, got a lot of users. My co-founder with Cube, now he actually one of the first users of Statsbot and he texted me and I was like, my, my, my Ruby on Rails application on Heroku is not doing well. Can you, can you help me? He jumped in and kind of, you know, like uh, started to help me. So, uh, and it was going well. And then at some point, VC started to reach out, like saying, okay, we see some traction in Statsbot. And it was, you know, like during the days when a lot of people were talking about conversational interfaces, it was like 
magic like SMS, like a text-based app, right? It was like a bunch of bots, Facebook bots. So there's like a little bit, little bit hype in a in a venture world about that as well. So VCs reached out and they kind of you know like wanted to fund Cube or funded Statsbot, sorry. So we are. Uh, we decided to 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 do that, so we quit our jobs. We raised a little bit uh, seed round for that, and uh, I think you know, like it's uh, it was a good run. I I liked what we built with Statsbot. I think the problem with Statsbot was its initial idea was just to build a side project, <laughs> and it was really good at the side hustle, but it was not like a big venture story. Uh, and then Slack really, you know, like kind of stopped growing at some point, right? It was it was all application built on top of Slack. So at some point we decided, you know, like that uh, we wanted to focus on a bigger opportunity. And at some at this point, actually, we started to look more into Cube. And a Cube was an engine we built for Statsbot because we essentially what we needed at Statsbot was to have a roll-up angel, right? Relational roll-up that can sort of generate every BI needs it, right? Like, so you generate some sort of, you know, like a SQL query from the multidimensional model, and then you run it in the, in a warehouse. So we we thought, what if we just take this internals of Statsbot? What if we take a cube and put it out on a on a GitHub so people going to use it, you know, like uh, for the for the building their own data apps, for building their own, you know, like analytics products. So we did this uh, and it took off. So a lot of people started to use it, you know, like, and we decided just to pivot completely and focus on Cube. Interesting, interesting. So we, I think maybe I used it at the time for doing sort of GA reporting, you know, within within Slack. Um, so yeah, it was good. And there's also, um, so there's also a company called AllCount as well that was involved in your your history. Um, and that's where Pavel, your co- your co-founder, came from. So, I know all count wasn't maybe sort of a direct product of yours, but but what's how does that fit into the story, really? Yeah, uh, I all count. My co-founder Pavel, he was working on the open source project called All Count before he joined me at Statsbot. So it was uh, it was a rapid uh, application building platform for uh, for accounting based on Node.js. Okay. And I suppose that had, because I mean, stepping forward a little bit to, to the start of Cube, it was Cube.js, I think, at the time. And was that was that kind of where, I suppose, the focus on, on Cube being embedded came from, or, or was it just coincidence, really? Yeah, yeah. I think the main reason is that we are, our data model back then was, uh, was JavaScript-based. So uh, right now we, right now we have, we still have JavaScript, but we also have a YAML-based model. And it seems the YAML-based models are getting more traction and just more, I would say, natural environment for, you know, like data engineers. Uh, but original, the f- original framework for the data modeling was only in JavaScript. So that's why we had this JS in a name. At some point, we decided to remove that because we started to see some confusion from people thinking that Cupid is some sort of, you know, like a, JavaScript visualization library or something like that, because many, you know, like charting libraries, they have a GS in a name, like a D3GS or ChartGS, right? So like having GS in a name was not, was not good for us. So we, we removed it probably like a, almost two years or maybe one year ago. 
Okay. Okay. So, so let's we're going to talk about Cube really in this in this episode, and the, 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 I suppose the wider the wider analytics market and semantic models within there, um, and and the position that Cube hopes to have within that market really. Okay. So, so let's just take a step back. So, so when when I, again when I first heard about Cube, there was a lot of talk about about headless BI, um, and and metrics layers and and so on really. So. I suppose um, maybe set the scene a little bit, really, about what what was the, what was the product landscape like when you thought about Cube at the time, um, and what problem did you initially try and solve within that within that market? Yeah, yeah, the good question. I, I think to be honest, the initial idea was, what if we built a headless LookML? So, and uh, we were like big fans of the Looker product, and. Uh, you know, like we have many lookers right on the team right now. So um, I think they, the LookML is just a great product and I have a lot of, you know, like respect for the team. Um, so we thought, what if we build that? And that was that was the idea. What if we just build a, like a headless data model? And uh, we started to think what kind of use cases are people going to use it for, right? When we released it in open source, we started to see most of the people they were building embedded analytics or like interactive data apps, right? Which felt natural, right? It just you have the data model that you can run on a on top of warehouse. It has all the data modeling capabilities, but it also has some sort of a SQL execution engine with some caching, and then you have API, and then you can build your own charts, like a React chart with ChartJS or something like that. So that was our major use case back then and then probably around 2020 2021 more and more people started to talk about the metrics layer and you know like a headless bi as a term and semantic layer so we started to see some ideas of people like wanting to take something like a lookml and but bring a different BI on top of it, right? Not only do embedded analytics, but bring a different BI, like a Tableau superset on top of LookML model. And there were like some blog posts talking about these ideas, like a headless BI or something like that. And every time these blog posts would come out, people in our community would point to it and say like, hey, that's exactly what Cube is doing. We're like, yeah, that's, that, sounds, that sounds about right. And we started to think more about that use case and we started to see, you know, like see some uh, pull from a community. And I think uh, the several companies, you know, like speaking of landscape, there were several companies trying to do that. You know, it was one great project, the MetricQL, one probably was one of the first that, you know, like trying to, say, okay, what if we build a data model and then, you know, like let different uh, BI tools to connect MetricQL. MetricQL was like Presto-based, so they were exposing like a Presto, Presto-SQL interface and I think that was a good idea. And then there were like company like a Supergrain, Transform Data, I think it was a few others. And uh, we at Cube, we started to think a lot about that use case as well. So I think, you know, like at some point, you know, like it, from a naming perspective also, it was a little bit like a chaos. Like some people were using term headless BI and we at Cube were using that as well. And then some people were using metrics layer, metrics store, and then semantic layer. And now I feel like everything is converging to like semantic layer, which is good. So we have a one single term right now, but it was a little bit interesting times like two years ago, you know, like there's a lot of companies, projects getting into into space. 
Okay. So, so um, I suppose, what what are without getting into Cube's particular details at the moment? What are the I suppose the the, the generic uh, challenges in trying to build a headless BI, a headless semantic model? And and I suppose why also would a would a, would a company want to do that? Want to use that rather than say just using LookML and Looker, for example. So, so what are the challenges and and why why bother really? I suppose in in some respect. Yeah. Yeah. I think one uh, why and what is the value. I think try to if if I would try to summarize that. I think it's overall idea of bringing software engineering practices to the data management, and uh, one big one big best practice is dry, meaning that do not repeat yourself. And what's happening right now is. In when we use multiple visualization tools, every visualization tool they, it has some sort of a data modeling layer, right? Like it's very advanced in a looker, but Tableau has it, Power BI has it, Superset, Metabase, every BI they have it. And what's happening is that we're repeating ourselves in this in this places. Every time we do new visualization, every time we bring another tool or even embedded analytics, right? We, 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 we repeat the data modeling in, in that layer. So idea is do not repeat yourself and extract the data, data modeling upstream into some sort of a component that provides a unified consistency and accuracy. So that's an idea behind semantic layer and why to use it. Um, and uh, what a challenge is because I mean, I guess I, I would I would imagine I would imagine having to support lots of different databases, you know, different BI tools. I mean, I imagine it's not a trivial thing to do, really, is it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think that the main challenge would be around the BI tool, because um, coming back to the thing that every BI has its own semantic layer. Usually, this semantic layer enables you. It, it controls the user interface and it controls the end user experience. Like we, we mentioned Looker a few times already, but let, let's take Looker as an example, right? We have an explore in a Looker. So every time I create an explore in a LookML, it will pop up in my like list of explorers, right? And then I will go into that UI. So like everything I'm doing in the data model sort of, you know, like it, it affects my UI or it, and, for myself and for like end users. So that's a challenge is like, we still need to have this uh, semantic layer on a BI level because all the like BI controls are connected to it to provide a native experience, right? So if we try to bypass that, then the, the experience of the end user would be very, very bad, right? Like it would not be native. So I think the challenge is like, how do you implement semantic layer? But still keeps the same native experience for the BI for like end users. Okay, okay. So let's get into the detail of Cube then, really. So, so, um, so the, you mentioned about how I suppose uh, Statspot was an inspiration and some of the kind of the roots of of Cube were in that. But you you went down the route, I suppose, of of, of open sourcing uh, Cube, didn't you? So maybe talk about maybe talk about the first couple of years, really, and when it was Cube JS and and how you kind of I suppose leverage the community a little bit in this really as well so maybe this the starting sort of origin story there would be quite interesting uh, it was a lot of fun <laughs> uh so it was mostly me and my co-founder uh you know running uh, running the open source project um we, we, we were just doing mostly three things writing code obviously talking to users we put a slack out there 
so that was good every time you know like people uh will run into some exception or like some problem they will join our slack and you know like ask for a question and then we will be use that as an opportunity to build a conversation in relationship with that users and this way we'll be able to learn how they were using product so we were like writing codes talking to customers and just blogging a little you know like just how do you solve this problem with cube how do you solve that problem with you how do you use cube with that technology so blogging was really a way for us to attract new users and by talking to users we were able to shape the product so it was just like pretty much this loop, you know, like put a block out, get a new users, talk to them, write code, and then repeat. Let's go into, I suppose, some of the, the detail of how Cube works. Okay, so there, there's different layers to Cube, aren't there? There's like caching and there's APIs and pre-aggregations and so on. Maybe just talk us through a little bit about how the product works, really, and how you, the, the choices you made over how it's architected and, 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 and built. When we talk about Cube, we usually talk about... Uh, the four layers of a product. And the first layer is the data modeling. And pretty much all other layers, they all coupled to the data modeling. In a data modeling, you you define your data models, right? <laughs> Hence the name. Um, so in a cube world, we have two objects for the data modeling. One is called cubes, and the other is called views. So the cubes, uh, the purpose of cubes, this is a business entity. So you, you take a user as a business entity, you take an order, transaction, you define what measures, what dimensions these business entities they have, and then you also define the relationship between them. Uh, you know, one-to-many, many-to-one, all of that. So you, you sort of are building your data graph with uh, of your business entities. And then views, uh, the, the job of views is to act as a data marts or slices of data so you can take some measures, some dimensions, and specific cubes, and then present them as uh, as an interface to the end user, some sort of curated data sets, right? And um, you also, on a views level, you can control the join paths because the cubes they they constitute the data graph, but it's not directed. And a views you give direction to joins on a views level because potentially you may have a multiple ways you direct your graph right so the, on a views level you can control that direction so that's a fundamental idea of the of the data model then on top of this we have access control which is coupled into data model so every time that we execute a query in cube we execute it in a context of some security context we call that idea security context so security context can affect the data model meaning that for different users you may have a different version of a data model, which could be row-level security, column-level security, just remove entire set of measures, entire set of dimensions. So your data model can be flexible based on the context of the query. So that's how we implement access control. And then we have a caching layer. The caching layer is uh, idea is aggregate awareness. So Cube can build uh, the aggregates based on measures and dimensions. Cube has its own storage for the caching, so you can uh, Cube can aggregate. It runs the initial aggregation in a data source and then downloads the result into its own cache. And the aggregates again, they're like a table, right? It's a relational cache, so meaning that it potentially can serve a lot of different permutations of measures and dimensions in a query. And then Cube can uh, refresh that 
either with its own job scheduler or you can use uh, orchestration like Airflow. And then final layer of the product is API. So we have REST API, GraphQL API. That's where we started. People usually use this API if they wanted to build embedded analytics or interactive data apps. And then we have a SQL API. Uh, our users, they use SQL API to connect with BI tools. Okay, so so how does Cube how does Cube translate um, queries against the, your your data model into SQL that is can be sent to say sort of like BigQuery or Snowflake? You know, how, how do you how do you how do you do that, and how do you handle the different dialects and uh, and so on? Yeah, um, we, we 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 first build a multi dimensional query, right? Like measures dimensions, and then we 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 translate that into the into the SQL based on the different dialects. And uh, the cube has a concept of a driver. So every time you need to support a different data warehouse, you need to build a driver. And a driver, it needs to implement uh, needs to implement the connection. You know, like how connection is done technically, right? Different protocols, all of that. And then it needs to implement the SQL dialect as well. So uh, because sometimes, you know, like a predicate, you know, filters, like uh, all of that, they just have a little bit different syntax, right? So that's that's how it works. So every time we wanted to introduce a new support, a new warehouse, a new database, we need to implement the driver. And because we open source community implemented a lot of drivers already, which is which is really good, you know, like we, we, we have this luxury. So yeah, Kube, uh, that's how the Kube works on that side. Querying side, it's interesting uh, where like the, the SQL API, like it's because Cube pretends to be a SQL database too, right? So your BI can connect to Cube. So like Tableau would connect to Cube as to a Postgres database, or like a superset would connect to Cube as a Postgres database. The the missing piece here is a notion of a measure, right? Because Cube has measures inside it. But SQL spec, it doesn't have idea of the measure. So here we like extending the SQL spec and we add, adding idea of the measure. So the measure is um, just a spatial type of the column and it has a spatial function with which you call measure as well. So meaning that when you query cube and you say, I wanted to get this measure, that means that you don't need to do any aggregation, any calculation with that measure now, and it should be used those calculations that you have in your data model. So we we adding this extension to SQL. Okay, okay. So I think probably imagine if I was listening to this and I was uh, the audience, I'd be thinking, well, but how does this compare to say um, the DBT metrics layer, or say you know Looker and LookML? Um, so so with, with the DBT metrics layer, and I suppose the classic version and you know, maybe what's coming with with the transform um, uh, acquisition? How is how is Cube differentiated from that from that from that product area that that product sort of family? And um, and you know, would Cube compete with that, or is it a complement? It's generally, how do people sort of understand the difference between Cube and the DBT semantic layer? I think Cube is definitely complementary to DBT as a transformation tool. And, you know, like I, in many cases, I encourage our customers to use transformation tool like DBT upstream uh, from Cube. Uh, with DBT semantic layer, it's a little in flux right now because it's unclear how the end product would look like, right? We know the history. So DBT announced that they wanted to build this symmetrics layer. That's how they called it originally. And then at some point, they apparently they decided 
what they built was not meeting all the requirements, so they decided to buy the Transform, right? And, and Transform is a great team. They have a great product. I think the question is, like, how these two things are going to sort of converge, right? And, like, what is going to end product look like? So it's a little hard for me to tell at this point. It's, like, how it's going to be comparing to Cube because I don't know how it's, what what is the end product will be there. But, you know, like, I think fundamentally these two questions in a semantic layer that I think different uh, different people you know have different views on how the metrics should be defined and how the metrics should be queried. I think in a cube world, and I already described all the cube views architecture, we are data set centric, meaning that we believe that the semantic layer should provide as an interface as a product, it should give a data set where like it can contain multiple measures, it can contain multiple dimensions, but it should be a data set about some specific business entity or some specific business area, right? Like users, like, or, you know, like signups, like uh, transactions. Where, but what I saw from a previous iteration in DBT semantic layer, they thought in a more like a metric centric way where they would ship a metric and attach a multiple dimension to that and then ship another metric and attach a multiple dimension. So it's less a data set, but more like a metric oriented. So that's one difference. Again, it may change with, with uh, Transform coming in, but that was that was before. And a second big area in a, in a semantic layer is on how you query it. So Cube, Cube way of doing this is to query it through the SQL. I think that's the right approach. Like SQL is a the language of Frank of data, right? Like it just like every tool knows how to speak SQL, so we should support SQL. Uh, the transform team had a little bit different approach and a metrics and, and a metrics layer from DBD had it too. So transform team was using uh, I think it was called MQL metrics query language. So their own like a metric query language, which it was not SQL. And then with with DBT, I think it was Jinja based in bats into SQL. So it's a little different. So I think that's an interesting area, you know, I don't know again how it's going to look like at the end state, but Cube was SQL first from the beginning. And I think that's the right, right approach. Okay. Okay. So, so, um, so uh, I suppose a combination um, of Cube and, um, and preset is something that we've had a fair bit of success with recently on, on client projects. Um, maybe to talk about, um, I suppose, the the particular kind of I suppose value in in integrating say cube with preset sort of superset and I suppose how cube are investing in that area in the future really we we having a lot of a lot of users and customers with superset and preset so that's why we like excited specifically to build more integration with that BI tool um, one one area where we working on improvements as we integrating with uh, superset semantic layer itself. So idea is, and we, we call this feature semantic layer sync. Idea is to let Cube's data model to push it downstream to all different visualization tools and synchronize Cube's data model with BI's data model as well. So in a superset, you have data sets. So Cube now can programmatically build and manage data sets and supersets and define all the metrics, define all the dimensions. So users, they don't have to put them manually. And every time you make a change in a Cube's data model, 
the cube automatically synchronizes it, it with a data model in a, in a superset. And that gives a native experience to the end users. I think that's a, one of the biggest challenge in a, in a semantic layer implementation and how you give this native experience to the end users. And I think the semantic layer sync is, an, is a way to solve this problem. Okay. Okay. So um, go back a moment, moment to you talked about the caching layer in in Cube, and, and certainly again from my, from our experience, um, the the caching layer and you mentioned aggregate awareness there are I suppose particularly defining features of Cube. So maybe let's go back to that a little bit. How does that work, and how does that how does it then give you query performance that can be quite fast? You know, you mentioned I presumably rewrites part of that as well. How does the caching layer work, and what what's the end user experience like in the end when that's working properly? So, well, I'll start with just high-level architecture. What what we have? So in Cube, we have our own uh, engine, which is used for orchestration and caching. So it, it the first part of its job is to do orchestration because Cube a Cube instances they are headless and they are stateless. So meaning that you can you know like. It, it lets you horizontally uh, sort of a scale it, but they also need a way to, you know, synchronization point. So our caching engine, uh, it manages a queue, execution queue. This way it orchestrates all the queries, but also it also manages the, uh, the caching. So the caching piece is divided into uh, the router node and a worker node. So it's... Uh, it's a distributed query engine where like we store the the cold storage is per k files and a hot storage it's a memory of the worker um, so the way it usually works is when you define your aggregate in um, in your data model cube caching engine will go in your data source say snowflake will execute a query in Snowflake and then download the whole result of that query into its own storage. Then it will do some repartitioning, re-indexing, resorting, and uh, put it all into, you know, like the parquet file format. And then when a query comes to Cube, say from a BI tool or from embedded analytics, Cube will know that it has an aggregate. That's where aggregate awareness comes in, right? The Cube will have this knowledge that the aggregate is exists for this specific query, and then we'll go and query the aggregate from a Cube store, which is our caching engine, and which is inherently much faster because we already uh, pre-processed that, pre-indexed everything, and loaded into workers' memory for this fast querying. So that's why the cache is, is really fast for that specific uh, queries that are being processed by Cube. Okay. So this, this reminds me quite a lot of the days when I used to work with tools like Sbase and, and uh, Microsoft OLAP when we had things like aggregate storage and we had um, things like calculation plans and, and, and you know, aggregation at various levels in the hierarchy. I mean, do you have a background in OLAP? And is, is OLAP something that is, is on your mind really about when you think about where the product is going? I Yeah, I mean... My co-founder and I, we spent some time with with BI systems like Mondrian and all of that. So, you know, like that's where we, we, we saw a lot of, you know, like uh, implementation like this. Uh, I don't think we are, I mean, we, 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 we try to use ideas from these tools because it's still multidimensional analysis, right? But I don't think we wanted to rebuild like one of the old systems, right? Like we try to understand how the same ideas can be applied to the data warehouse 
centric world. So, so we, you, you, we've, we've been, I suppose, we've been talking implicitly about about kind of internal BI use cases um, for Cube, but but certainly um, it's it's. I suppose the the origins of Cube were you know maybe access via API and in the embedded market. Um, tell us a bit about the the kind of type of customers that are using Cube in an embedded context, and and how does how do you get Cube to how do you actually include cube in your in your say SaaS application how does that kind of work there are a lot of tech companies using cube for that use case because as you can imagine every tech company they have some software they usually sell and if it's a b2b company right they usually have some sort of insights and monitoring features like a dashboarding features inside their applications because customers now they demand a lot of uh, a lot of analytics features in the product so we have a big cohort of a customers who is using cube to power uh, sort of a customer facing analytics inside their application so that's been probably the biggest uh, you know like uh, segment of our customers so far before we started to see more, more like an internal bi use case um, and in that in that stack, you would usually run Cube on top of warehouse or SQL database and expose API to the front-end team. And then front-end team will build some sort of visualization with tools like React or like Angular and different charting libraries. We even ship some SDKs and libraries to integrate natively with React and like Angular. Look into the future now then. We, we've got, you know, you've got a market, I suppose, Something that's, been, something that's been a validation of your of your strategy is the fact that there are other players in the market now, and and in particular, I suppose you've got Looker with their with their semantic with their new universal semantic model and Looker modeler and so on. Um, so I just wondered, what where do you where do you see Cube fitting into the market going forward, and what's the what's the unique space that you think you guys would be in that would that would differentiate you from from say the other players, um, and would make you a valid choice to be to be chosen in preference to say sort of something that's maybe maybe more of a kind of like a safe bet or certainly more of a known product um so where, where does cube fit into the future do you think really yeah um i think that we'll see some of the semantic layers that are going to be not open but more like a closed ecosystem like a looker look ml or looker modeler that's a good example, right? It's most likely going to exist mostly within Google ecosystem with a goal of selling more BigQuery, right? Um, that I think one of huge difference that we wanted to take with Cube uh, the product, we wanted to create not only universal semantic layer, but we wanted to make sure it's open. So first of all, we open source, which is a big difference, right? Like in our core, offering it's 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 an open source while we have a cloud product but main features uh, many many features are still an open source so i think being open and open from uh, any affiliation from the cloud vendors like gcp or also open from a code base perspective that's i think going to be a very big difference uh, for the cube and to be honest i think it's a safe bet for the enterprises and organizations because again the, the technology underlying technology is open source right and it's not like it's not going to work with bigquery or you know like if ibm decides to enter the warehouse market right like you can just build the ibm driver and use cube with that i think 
open source is a huge, huge difference here. Mm. Do, you, do you think there's a? Do you think maybe the way the market might evolve in the future is actually not necessarily that you would choose one semantic model and, and that's it, but you might, for example, link I don't know Cube to Looker through Looker's new. They announced that they were going to make it available, open up Looker's semantic model via a SQL interface. So you could imagine maybe Cube running on top of that to maybe to make it easier to embed that data from there. I mean, do, do you think there's a kind of multi multi semantic layer future ahead as well? Uh, that's a good question. I think it it may be, and I think it would be a good future if you know, like if it if we would be able to make it true. I think the prerequisite for that would be some standardization on the market. Um, and at Cube, we would I would be happy to push for the open semantic letter standard, you know, and if some other vendors would support that, you know, like it will help to bring the standardization. And then this, if we will have that standardization, then different semantic layers would be able to integrate and, you know, like even merge with each other, which will, which will help, you know, like to have this sort of a cross, cross vendor integration eventually. Mm. Okay. And you, you've mentioned open source a few times there. And I think, again, going back to maybe a unique a unique differentiator for Cube is, is that community. How important is the community to Cube going forward? I mean, it was there at the start, but what role would it play in Cube going forward as well, do you think? Uh, I, I think it just, it's essential part of the product and it's essential part of the open every open source project so it's uh you cannot you cannot separate community from uh from a product or from open source project because usually they they define each other and they they influence so as much as product to project it influences who are your users that much your users are influencing you even even if we're not talking about direct code commits you know like even just getting feedback and just, you know, like asking questions and kind of, you know, like uh, moving product into a specific direction, I think community will influence it. So it's it's hard for me to imagine, you know, like these two things as a, as a separate entities. Yeah. Okay. Um, and, and, and just to kind of round things off, you, you, so you mentioned at the start, you talked about StatSpot and you said it was, um, you, you talked about conversational, um, a conversational BI. Now, so there was, we actually had David, um, from Delphi Labs on the, on an episode a little while ago. And we've, we've kind of been trialing that product since then. And, and, um, okay. in a way, it sounds to me that, and that links in with Cube, you know, so it sounds to me that, that what he's doing with that product and the way it uses Cube is, is kind of going back to some of the things you were trying to do, but doing it maybe with a few more years worth of, of, of kind of technology around and, and the whole AI kind of world. Just tell us a bit about that, that integration you've, you've done with Delphi Labs and how that works. Yeah, uh, we, just, we just announced it a few days ago and I'm super excited about it. First, you know, like it's obviously because of stats, but it kind of, you know, like I have, uh, had a, you know, like a weak spot for that. But uh, yeah, I think it's a, it's great idea and large models right now, they really enable uh, the use case. That's what we didn't have back then with Statsbot. And that's now what David and team, they have it. So I'm really bullish on, on it. So it's a, uh, it's still a lot of to build, right? Of course, and it's still early use case. But I think it just it now we can 
it's we have a real chance to make it work really so i'm, I'm super excited about it so, so maybe for anybody that doesn't know what we're talking about maybe just describe what it is and, and what it adds to 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 what you did originally in, in say that spot yeah so with delphi you can actually run a conversational interface like think about chat gpt but it knows about your data it knows about your data model so you take uh you take a cubes data model you give it to the delphi uh, and delphi learns about it it also knows a lot of like about the analytics in general and then you can ask questions and they say hey how is my sales doing you know like what is that what is this and then it can go and look at your data model and generate a query through your data model and then gives the results back so it's kind of you know like like an analyst that can work with your with your data model which is which is pretty cool and i think yeah i, I think that really large models and semantic layers they enable this use case right now so you know like we've if we'll have more adoption of a semantic layer, uh, that will that will be really good for you know like a Delphi and a team just kind of you know like for them to to really provide a lot of value on top of semantic layer because the semantic layers they give they give the meaning and they give business meaning to the data, which exactly what these systems they need. I mean, in my experience with it, I mean, it's early days and we've only been using it for a day or so, but it's, it's like having an analyst at the end of the, on a, on a, it's like having an analyst working with you on, on Slack, really. So you could just say, you know, how are sales doing this month? And, and it will, like you say, the, the large language model in the background is the thing that allows it to have a kind of conversation with you. And, and it will come back and say, uh, it will connect to Cube, for example, and it will then say, um, you know, by, by, by revenue, do you mean this particular measure here? By by kind of region, do you mean this one here? And it has this kind of conversational model with you, uh, sort of inter- interaction with you, um, which is the bit, which I think is the difference between that and maybe what Statsbot was, where there was maybe a, cer- a certain way in which you had to ask questions, but it couldn't have a conversation with you as such. Um, but then it will work, it will then link in with with Cube, and it will then work, and it will then kind of access your data through there. So it's a kind of a fantastic, I suppose way of exposing cube to a more a less technical audience and doing it in the environment they like to use which is slack so it's um i was really impressed with it yeah yeah exactly i think you're spot on this fact that it can do follow-up questions and do a little bit investigation it what what actually you mean i think that was a missing piece for statsbot and that what we realized that it was not possible to do back then but now with uh, large models it's actually possible you know, like so, this uh, the system can ask follow up questions and build that knowledge, build that memory about what you actually want, and then go and get get the data for you. Yes, I think that's uh, that changes a lot. Fantastic, fantastic. So, so how do people find out more about Cube, and um, and also just maybe just explain what Cube Cloud is as well. I, I think people just you know we we rely a lot of inbound as in every open source project, right? So it just people. The word of mouth mostly and uh just a little bit blogging maybe so people you know like uh they they find out about cube through the open source awareness and then we have a cloud option cloud option is not a hosted option of a cube it's more like it's just like full featured product built on top of cube so that's the way we position it so and there are like some additional features and additional integrations that we, we have in a cloud so people Sometimes, in many cases, they just opt in for a cloud instead of a cube core. Mm. Okay, 
Okay, fantastic. And uh, and, and Ripman Analytics as well, we're a Cube partner, so we do a quick start package as well to get you up and running with, with Cube. So uh, just a little plug there, really. Um, but but um, Artyom, it's been great having you on the, on the show. Thank you very much for coming on and telling us about the kind of origin story for uh, for Cube. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm keeping an eye on the products in the future and um, best of luck for everything you're doing uh, with the product, taking it forward. Thank you. Thank you for having me today. It was a really good conversation.